Welcome to Social Currency, where we give you the stories, information, and way too in-depth analysis to get you through your week. I'm Steve, joined as always by Christian. Takes two to make a thing go right. Oh, and this one's going to go right. Oh, yes. This one's going to go right. We are psyched today. Yes, because we're going back to actually my homeland, the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, and a place where I have lived for uh, three, four years of my life that has a really significant part in this story. Which was wild because when Steve told me that he'd actually lived in this part of Washington, I, I couldn't believe it because most people, when I talk to them here in Ohio, they have no idea about most of any of the places in Washington, which makes sense because I don't know really that much about Ohio. Yeah. Tiny, tiny remote town, which we'll get to in just a minute. Yes, it will. But we are talking this week about the story of Bigfoot, Sasquatch, mm-hmm. the big old ape who runs around in the woods. And no, we're not talking about Harry and the Hendersons. No, this is... Uh, this is some interesting stuff that uh, people have been talking about for years, really. And there's centuries. Been, yeah, centuries. There's been stories of uh, a two-footed ape who either is uh, relatively harmless or a complete terrorist <laughs> right. to uh, people and tribes uh, throughout the world. And again, this story really takes us to the Pacific Northwest, where now, in the United States at least, one in three sightings occur, which there could be a good reason to that. We'll get to later on. But it really starts in the Pacific Northwest with a guy by the name of J.W. Burns in 1920. And no, this isn't George Burns. No. And this isn't Mr. Burns. Uh, this is a guy who actually coined the term Sasquatch. So he's one of the first people who talked to the Chileas tribe in Washington about this big, hairy animal that would come and I think I believe it would steal their salmon. That they were fishing, right, and fishermen. they weren't uh, they weren't thrilled with that development from the Sasquatch. No, what's crazy is so he compiles all of the stories from the the Chehalis people and even some other tribes around as well, and uh, then puts them together and publishes this. What's what, what's interesting to me is is that later on, when as when people would came and talk to them about it, they would be offended by the thought that this wasn't real. Like to them, this wasn't this kind of mythical thing like oh that was a great story you told there buddy and it's like no story guy this is this is real life yeah this is real life buddy i'm not your buddy guy i'm not your guy friend i'm not your friend buddy anywho's so yeah so that's where the term sasquatch comes from right yeah um, bigfoot if you're curious by the way that actually came a little bit earlier in uh, approximately like 1830 ish or so uh that's when we have the wyandotte chief who basically comes up with this nickname of bigfoot uh, the funny thing I will say about that is, is that this end up this ends up later being confused also with apparently these large grizzly bears that were marauding around and just causing lots of ruckus, and so they kept calling those Bigfoot, and then confusing that with the stories of Bigfoot, and it just it all got messed up. I also like the level of creativity of that thing has really big feet, so Bigfoot. Well, again, I mean, yeah, that makes sense. Right, right. And then where Bigfoot really starts to jump and Bigfoot craze starts to take off in the United States, 1958. So a construction worker by the name of Jerry Crew comes with this huge plaster cast of a giant animal footprint. 24 inches long, 8 inches wide. Comes to a newspaper in Bluff Creek Valley in Northern California and says, found this footprint in the woods. This doesn't belong to anything I know of. Nor I. Is what they said, (laughs) I imagine. (laughs) So they said, cool, let's print it. They print that, and people all over the state, all over the Pacific Northwest are now saying, we've heard these rumors, we've heard of Sasquatch here and there, we've heard things. This thing exists, it's out there, we need to go find it. Yeah, and again, the connection here is just... We have these stories that have been passed down for generation to generation, particularly in Native Americans, that then are really coming at the same point in time here with this discovery. And so it, it all seems to make sense. Dr. Grover Krantz, a professor from Washington State University, uh, go Cougars. Actually, I don't really go there, so I don't know why I just said that. Not a bit. Yeah. Wazoo. Go no. Wazoo. Yeah. Didn't go to no? didn't go to University of Washington. The cheese. Either. The Cougar gold cheese, though. Uh, oh, I kind of know about that. Yeah. It's like their staple. They only make it there. Yeah. And it's this like really rich, super white cheese. Great. And to level set with our listeners who may not know my background, I, I'm from Seattle, uh, but I didn't really like go to, again, University of Washington or Washington State, which is the two major schools in Washington. Washington State University is on the other side of the state. It's in Pullman. But uh, anyways... 
he examines the cast and also photos of the footprint and goes on to say that he thinks that this is the cast of a injured Sasquatch or in, in it's an injured foot is what he can tell from it. And then he says either this is an upright walking primate or an artist with expert understanding of primate foot anatomy did this. Yeah, which I don't think construction worker Jerry Crew was Probably or was not. assumed to be. Perhaps. Or perhaps something, something else. else. So then 1967 is the Bigfoot craze is taking off, and this is what we have all come to know when we think about Bigfoot. We've seen the video. We've seen the photos. This is when two men from Yakima, Washington, that is the tiny, tiny mountain town I lived in years ago, Roger Patterson and Bob Gimlin, a couple of cowboys, decide they're going to take off and they're going to find this thing. They're going to go to Bluff Creek Valley, and they're going to film and potentially capture a Sasquatch. Road trip. Road trip indeed. And of course, it lives, it's an infamous, infamous video uh, because everybody's seen it. They show up in the woods and they're filming around. All of a sudden, the camera gets real shaky, kind of looks at the ground or something, pops back up, walking by, there it is. Bigfoot takes about five steps, looks back at the camera, takes about five more into the woods, trails off, and there it is. And he's Shocks doing, the world. He's doing that whole kind of sloping kind of run where he's got his large limbs just kind of flapping here and there. I like to do that with people every now and again just because I've got long You've arms. you got super and long. Just kind of, I can, you know, and you got to do the, the turn, the side the side look. What I love too is that in his account, he's, <laughs> he says that the creature had a look of contempt and disgust. Yeah, like he was annoyed he, they were in his living room. <laughs> what the crap are you doing here? With the, get that camera and get that camera. I mean, basically, he didn't want the paparazzi. It's That's like, all he didn't want. Yeah, it's it, the total nerd reference, but it's like when you're playing Skyrim and you just break into someone's house and they're like, what are you doing? You're not supposed to be here. Like, that's what Bigfoot did. That's essentially what he said. Yeah. I um, usually didn't respond well to that when playing Skyrim. <laughs> no, you didn't. So they shocked the world with this video, and they're starting to try to figure out how to monetize it and how they can really make this thing big. For science. For science, of course. <laughs> And along the way, they have this falling out. So Patterson and Gimlin have this fight to the point where Gimlin gets so annoyed, he essentially gets ousted and sells his shares of everything related to this to another Bigfoot researcher, gives up, throws his hands up. Yep. So this took place in 1967. Five years later in 1972, um, Patterson's actually laid up with cancer. And he's now age 37, and he tells Gimlin, hey, I'm sorry I ousted you. And as the legend goes, he says, when I recover from this, We'll go back to California and we'll find that Bigfoot. Patterson died the next day. <laughs> so that trip didn't happen. Is that what you're telling me? Yeah. So trip, not so much. To this day, uh, Gimlin says, this is real. This really happened. Someone else does not. No. Uh, 1995, actually, uh, Greg Long starts to do some poking around because he, he again, curious to, to know, particularly related to this video, how everything went down. So he starts interviewing everybody that's still alive. Uh, and just kind of wants to get their take on things. One of the things they definitely find out is that pretty much everyone admitted that Patterson was described as a, a liar. Big and sketchball. A con man. Yeah. <laughs> That's not exactly a glowing uh, reference, if you ask me. Uh, so already some holes there. They didn't find anything definitive. Um, the one thing that's really weird, too, is that many people, that's weird, many people have come out and said, yeah, that was actually me in a suit. But... Every single one of them have not been able to produce said suit. Yeah. And then also, too, there was an anthropologist who analyzed the video and determined in his mind that if it indeed was a human wearing a suit, it would be a very awkward suit because the arms are longer than what normal human arms are. So you have this weird juxtaposition of you got, okay, this video that almost is too good to be true. And then you got this guy who was a liar and a con man. And then you have people coming up and saying, yeah, it was me. But then also they can't actually confirm that it was a hoax. Yeah, there is. It's a weird kind of dichotomy you have going on where it's it's one of the most scrutinized pieces of video that ha that exists, especially as it relates to Bigfoot. But as it relates to any sort of thing in the world of cryptozoology, which is these fantastical creatures that may or may not exist. So knowing it's been scrutinized that much and the inability to disprove it. Uh, but then having people saying it may or may not be true, there, there's some good discussions on both sides. 
I think we should get to that stuff oh, right now. Gotta just break this bad boy down. Let's get to the breakdown. Now it's time for a breakdown. So this is the breakdown where we like to get into the nitty-gritty details of the story. So on the front end, we kind of told you how this legend came to be and how it blew up, particularly in North America. But now we want to get into more of the details of what people think, what science says, some of the awesome hoaxes or potential Bigfoot discoveries, maybe even our theories on what could be going on here. Yep. So to start off this, I'm going to kick it off. One of the things that um, really should be noted is that as anthropologists have looked more into just folklore and other cultures and everything, they have noted that this is a story that seems to pop up in virtually every culture on the planet. Like all cultures have this account of some human-like giant that is, again, mythical in nature or is just a part of society in, in, in a... I guess, far away place. Um, but I thought that was wild because, I mean, we always just think of, okay, Sasquatches, right? That's that's an American thing. Then we have like the Yeti, you know, mucking around and I don't know, the Ural Mountains maybe, <laughs> perhaps. <laughs> Listen to last episode. Yeah. You'll know all about that one. Um, but even too, I love this, uh, like even in England, there, there's these all these different uh, uh, like accounts and, and even um, some artwork that relates to these wild men who had lots of hair, um, were uh, somewhat comparable to fawns, like in, in the mythology and everything. But I love this too. Um, their defining characteristic, their wildness. <laughs> they sure are wild. They're in nature. This it, is true. And actually, in our episode on the first dinosaur, when they found the first dinosaur bone, which belonged to an iguanodon, dun, 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 iguanodon, dun, 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 dun. they initially thought it was a potentially a Roman uh, war elephant scrotum, but then they concluded, no, that's silly. It's a giant human scrotum. And yeah. they thought that for a long period of time. Made perfect sense. It was a hip sense. bone, but they thought it was a giant human scrotum. So it makes sense that they thought um, that this myth existed elsewhere. Right. Yeah. And... They've gone by different names. I mean, depending on the culture, they have all these different characteristics. But even the Sasquatch folklore also, too, has different names for Bigfoot and that kind of thing. I love this. Some of them relate to what it does, or at least what they think it does. And so, like, for example, eats clams. So clam eater or something to that effect. <laughs> Shakes trees, tree shaker. I saw the tree. Yeah, I saw that one. That tree was my shaker. favorite. The tree yeah. shaker. Yeah. yeah. Well, the, it's a large one. Um, but science has come in as it normally does, the buzzkill that it is, and says, sorry, guys, don't mean to rain on your parade, but this is what we think. And essentially, you can boil it down to three things. They think it's a combination of actually of all three that would explain why so many people have said that they have seen Bigfoot. They think it's a combo of folklore, misidentification, and hoaxes. So with that, let's dive into that that Patterson Gimlin video because that kind of illustrates a lot of these things. Yeah, it's kind of it's it's a lot of them all kind of rolled into one. Yeah. So uh I mentioned I used to live in Yakima, Washington. When I first got out there, I was riding along with one of my coworkers and we're on this bougie part of town called Scenic Drive. It's like a nice area up a hill where Sounds very scenic. people with it's aptly named people with a lot of money live up there. And there was one house that as I'm driving past, I'm like, man, that's a really big house. And then there's this set of trees. And then on the other side next door to the house, I'm like, that's also a big house. And the person turned to me and go, no, that's the same house. It's one continuous house. Those oh, trees man. are just in the front yard. And I was shocked at how big it was. I said, whose house is that? They said, that's the guy who filmed the 1967 Bigfoot video. Shut up. So I said, oh, okay, I'm a little skeptical. Guy by the name of Bob Hieronymus. And notice we didn't mention him earlier. Hieronymus. Nice. Come on, you had, you had to hear that. Yeah, you got. No, I didn't. Now I will forever. <laughs> so uh, Patterson and Gimlin filmed, out, filmed this video. His claim, he's one of those people who claimed to be in the monkey suit that they filmed. He describes it as... They told me when to go. Then he shook around the camera. He put it up on me. I walked. I was a little afraid that some hunter was going to see me and just put a bullet in me as I was walking away. Yeah. And took the suit off. That was the end of it. Anybody can say that. He passed a lie detector test. Ooh. So 
a little bit more credibility to his story. Did he go into why he had such a look of contempt and disgust yeah. on his face? He, he did not, <laughs> but he did say he was instructed to basically walk, look, walk. Like that was the decision by which they came. He's also from Yakima, just like the two of them. He was buddies with them, so it makes a lot of sense. Um, so, you know, that fl- plays into it. But as we mentioned before, uh, they say the movement was too fluid for someone in a costume. They said the arms were too long for costumes. Hollywood special effects people even have said that is the best eight costume they've ever seen. So all that stuff makes you think, huh. And I do find it interesting that it hasn't been definitively debunked, but it was just interesting because it was a tie-in as I was reading through this to say, oh yeah, Bob Hieronymus. Yeah, I know that guy. So yeah, so he claims that he was one of the people. So potential hoax potential missighting there's a lot that goes into that misidentification there's a lot of pieces that could go into that from the scientific theories yeah and that's just one problem and the other problem has to do with the timeline uh kodachrome 2 which is what the the movie was filmed on this was really hard to develop with just your amateur equipment actually it was impossible probably much better than kodachrome 1 though well if i had to guess twice as better yeah you actually had to take it to a lab containing a $60,000 plus machine to get this thing developed. Now, there weren't many of those on the West Coast at the time, but even if you were to find one, none of them definitely didn't develop over the weekend, which is what they claimed happened. Um, Even too, one of their party doesn't even remember seemingly where he took it. So you had to go find this incredibly expensive machine to develop this film over the weekend because you've got the find of the century and you don't even know where you took it. Yeah, well, just a little minor detail. You don't even know where you picked it up. I mean, yeah, minor detail. Another thing, too, with the timeline is, is that the filming was supposed to take place around 1.15 in the afternoon, again, at the earliest. The filmmakers then arrived in Willow Creek at 6.30 at the latest. Now, that's, again, that's a bit of an imposition because it just would be too difficult to do that, get out, because they're, they're out in the sticks. So to do that, get back they're on, on their horses. Yeah, yeah, they had to like ford rivers and things and then also get to town and get this $60,000 machine to develop their stuff over the weekend. Yeah. Couple, couple holes, couple holes. Makes you wonder if it was even filmed in those woods at all. <laughs> I mean, well, that is actually one of the, the claims leveled against it is that it actually did happen not at all in this October timeline that they have proposed. Yeah, and, and even just the concept that they said, hey, let's go find Bigfoot, and then they just found Bigfoot on I their know. first try. Amazing. It's a heck of a heck of a heck of, have a good heck of a good luck streak there. I did love this little detail too, because this just I actually think this is great. Um again, the accounts have varied over the years and some have even said that Gimlin's you know, his what he saw is different than what Patterson saw, or at least that there are some, some changes into how it all went down. But I love that it's, it goes back to like, you know, like tell me if this has ever happened to you where you've got a group of guys together and they experience something and then it just changes over time. Like it's a camping trip and you left your shoes somewhere. So you had to walk across this Creek uh, to get to your shoes. And by the, fifth time you're telling it to your friends you're like we were walking through a raging river with alligators freshwater sharks (laughs) attacking us and we're fighting them off with our fists four Loch Ness monsters (laughs) four yeah yeah so So I'm 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 happy to hear that that that's not something that's just happened you know in current history nice so then we talk about how there's also misidentifications that can happen my favorite of these that came across during our research was there's a photo that is out that you can find on the internet right now that claims to be it is a baby Bigfoot. And it's as early as 2007, so just a little over 10 years ago. This is not 1967 we're talking about. This isn't grainy, nothing sketchy about it. Uh, experts looked at it, determined it's a bear with a skin disease. <laughs> <laughs> Which is such a sad thing, but it's just, you know, no. it's no. a bear with a skin disease. No, and this poor bear now has just been plastered over all yeah. the magazines and the internet. Was embarrassed enough as it yeah. was. Now, it's like in your acne, basically shown to the world. Yeah. So, yeah. poor bear. Um, but this is where it's going to get interesting. This is what I love. The hoaxes. Oh, man. It's about to get wound up. Yep. We're going to start with Tom Biscardi, who was a longtime Bigfoot enthusiast and CEO of the Searching for Bigfoot Incorporated. (laughs) He appeared on a 
radio program about the paranormal on July 14th, 2005. Again, th this is what I'm loving is that these are recent things. These are not from way back when, but this is just fantastic. He went on air saying he was 98% sure that his group would be able to capture a Bigfoot, which they had been tracking in Happy Camp, California. Which is a lot of percent sure and a very <laughs> specific location. Very specific. A month later, he then goes on the same radio station show and says that he now has access to a captured Bigfoot and that he was going to arrange this major event. It was going to be pay-per-view. What? We're making money off of science? For science. Come on. Pay-per-view for science. And so this this is going to so happen. So now he's 100% so, sure. Yeah. He went got from, He got that extra 2% out. It's gone. All the he's way. He's got it. And Stamp it. Make, <laughs> make a little money on the side here. Yeah. A few days later, I love that. A few days later, goes back on the same radio program to announce that actually, no, we don't have a captive Bigfoot. He blames an unnamed woman for misleading him and then goes on to blame the show's audience for being gullible. They were too gullible. <laughs> he went on and said, 98% sure I've got this thing up. Some woman fooled me. You, you guys are the gullible ones. It's not ones. my fault. It's, it's your not fault. my fault. Clean yeah. it up, audience. Gets better. Oh, this is not the last time we hear about Mr. Biscardi. <laughs> yeah, uh, 2008, uh, two guys post a video claiming that they have a dead Bigfoot from northern Georgia, mm. which is not his usual stomping grounds, no. or, or her, or but her. wildly enough, if you go on to the Wikipedia page, you see the entire map of the continental U.S. is covered in sightings. Yeah, if you look to Bigfoot sightings, it's basically just the U.S. map covered in it's been seen here. Yeah, still over a third happened in Washington, apparently. Yeah, so uh, Mister um, Searching for Bigfoot Incorporated <laughs> is pumped and He's gives back. a fifty thousand dollar advance to these guys, saying, Ooh. "I know you guys are going to make it happen." Major news news networks from all over the world come: CNN, ABC, BBC, Fox News. We're talking everybody. It's big. It is. It is clear. It's happening. Back in two thousand eight. They get this Bigfoot, this body comes out, the hair wasn't real, nope. the feet were rubber, and the head was uh, hollow. It had no brain in it. Uh, he admitted it was a hoax, yet yeah, no crap it was a hoax. Like, yeah. at what point did they think that they were going to get away with this when scientists got a hold of something with fake hair and rubber feet and no internal organs? Yeah. Yeah, Dwyer and, and Witten weren't exactly the, the sharpest tools in the shed when it came to that. I wonder what provoked them to actually reveal it was a hoax, other than just the fact that yeah. it looked terrible. Then they were like, you know what? It's, yeah, it's, uh, you got I'll us. be honest. Yeah, I'll, be, I'll tell you the truth. Uh, thanks for the $50,000 advance, but those feet are rubber. But, but, but actually, there is something that pushes them over the edge to admit it, and that's because Steve Colas confronts them. He is the executive director of SquatchDetective.com. <laughs> These people need lives. They, I'm sorry. They can't have their good name sullied. No. <laughs> they cannot have their good name sullied. So, I mean, you would think that's pretty damaging. That's going to doom Rick Dwyer and his cohort to really, you know, a, a terrible future, right? But it gets even better. No. Yeah. So in 2014, uh, Rick claims <laughs> that he has killed a Bigfoot and has verified via DNA testing that this thing is real. Time out. This is the same guy that said he had a dead Bigfoot and it was not. So why are we believing this dude a second time? But believe him, people did. So he shared videos, would refuse to show the body, but showed people reacting to the body. Ooh. So it's like the shots were like David Blaine's like kind of standing on one of his feet to look like he's floating and they only show reactions. They're like, whoa, whoa. he's floating, David Blaine. Um, so he only showed people reacting to it. Eventually, after going, he, he did a tour with it, made $60,000 yeah. with this thing. Eventually, he cracks under the pressure and says, you know what? The body was latex and it was created for me by a company. <laughs> but that's not the best part. No. The best part is he then maintains that he did kill a Bigfoot, but didn't take the real body on tour for fear it would be stolen. I believe him. Like he's, I mean, this guy, like that is just killer. There, you have this guy who says, I shot and killed the Bigfoot. Then he's like, yeah, that one's a fake body that I had made, but I really did kill but a I Bigfoot. Did. By the way, I just made 60 grand doing this. Yeah. 
Like, what a, what a <laughs> life this guy's lived. I want to know what he's doing right now. He's probably killing another Bigfoot. Well, yeah. You know, it's funny you mentioned killing Bigfoots. Uh, in Red Dead Redemption, one of the DLCs featured this kind of mythological element to it, which they kind of did a little bit here and there. It's the Wild West. Who knows what happens? But uh, they, they, there was this whole like Sasquatch hunting mission. And I think it was really built off of the thought of, I mean, there's there's two camps when it comes to Bigfoot. There's either this one camp that's this, this Harry Henderson style of there's this very nice, amicable creature out there just wants to be left alone that's all and then we got the other one that's like terrible and vicious and will steal your children so you go and you like hunt down all of these Sasquatches, which they were hard to kill and then you get to the last guy and he is propped up against a tree and he actually starts talking to you and basically says you've gone and killed my entire family we were the last of our kind there are none of us left might as well just do me in now because I'm I'm all alone and then like and I'm I'm just gonna write off new extinction and he's like crying. That's you know? heavy. I know, and he's like he's like so just do it, just do what you came to do because I've got nothing to live for. And that's Rockstar. That's not Bethesda, yeah. right? Yeah, that's Rockstar. Good job out of Rockstar. And I sat there going, "Oh, I'm so sorry," <laughs> and I, I couldn't do it, so I walked away. I couldn't. And you just left him tied I, to a tree? I, no, he wasn't tied. He oh, was just standing. He, was, he just like basically gave up. He was like. You, you know, you, you've basically forced my race into ex- extinction. I it's have like no the, one left. The last dragon was Sean Connery. I am the last I am one. the last. <laughs> we both went to the yeah, it's, same it's, line it's, there. It's the right one. I am the last. It's the only one. What is your theory on the whole Bigfoot thing? Because I have a wacky one that I'm going to get into in a second. And I'm going to try to convince do. you. Yeah. You always do. Uh, I think longtime listeners will not be surprised. I don't subscribe to it. Uh, I mean, even to scientists trying to entertain the thought um, in a, you know, almost a Carl Sagan kind of way. Sagan! Sagan! They say that everyone seems to equate Bigfoot to a upright primate. That just doesn't flush with the rest of the primate species. Like, they're generally found not in northern territory they're found in the tropics. So it seems odd just even from that perspective to say, how is it that this type of primate is not only living so far removed from everybody else, but also too able to survive in, in a harsher climate that again, they were not originally intended for. You know, we just look at all of these different types of theories that um, of again, a misidentification where it's like people are seeing things. I think it's, a Sasquatch could have been a bear with skin disease, could have been <laughs> so many other things. And then we, once again, not to go over the same ground that we did with, with Nessie, but uh, there is just that psychological leap you make that if you see something in the woods that you can't identify, looks, again, what you seem to have picked up from culture, what a Sasquatch would look like, bam, it's a Sasquatch. Like your brain just, it's, it's, it's tuned to make those jumps because honestly your brain's kind of lazy. Like it doesn't want to think hard oftentimes. Yeah, and it wants, if they can to, make it wants to make a connection to make something known to you because right. the unknown as your brain is, that's not a place you want to be. Right. Fight or flight response. You want to make an identification of what you're looking at and pull it together. And that's because again, your brain does so many things at the exact same moment in time that it just doesn't have often that ability to devote its resources to something that if it knows or thinks it knows, it's just going to go there. I mean, let's, let's not waste any time. So yeah, I'm not in, in the camp of pro Sasquatch, even being from the Northwest. I, well, I just if, can't go there. And if you want to see something kind of almost terrifying, you can find videos of bears running upright on two legs and it's like freaky. Is it man. the sloping? Kind oh, of? it's like, it's freaky. I mean, they like, I'm doing the movement yeah. right now. Oh, I mean, we'll post some videos of it this of week doing on our, our, our Facebook page of not Christian doing the movement, but actually <sighs> bears who are doing this because it's, it's kind of crazy. I actually think there is a nugget of truth in this. It's not going to be as wild and off the wall necessarily as these things are running around in mass in the United States. But there is scientific evidence of a Gigantotopithecus. Mm. It's a type of bipedal ape that mostly live in Asia. Some t- scientists believe this thing came over on the Bering Land Bridge. 
that makes sense. Pacific Northwest, right? It's it's not a coincidence that most of the sightings have been there. So I actually think there could be some truth to the fact that this thing's been extinct for about 100,000 years. That's their theory. Language has existed for roughly 200,000, and for about 50,000 years, we've had sort of real language where, like, the way you and me communicate. Let's say the extinction on this thing is slightly... pause you there and say... The way you and I communicate is not the way the rest of the world communicates. That's, so maybe we should that's true. As back the, up. As every human who is oh. sane communicates has really existed in some form for about 50,000 years. So with that knowledge in mind, the reason I say that is because it is entirely plausible that humans like you and me, or I should say humans like our, our audience who are normal human people, lived alongside in the Pacific Northwest, the Gigantotopithecus, which is, again, this large bipedal ape that came over on the land bridge and that's sort of where these myths and and discussions started because there were native american tribes there they saw it now are they living and walking amongst us now i think probably not um i don't think there's some living relative that exists so you're more of the thought that they did exist at one point but no longer yeah so the difference between this and like nessie is nessie i don't think ever really existed do you mean Nessie existing in Loch Ness or existing Loch, at it, all? Well, in Loch Ness, because amphibious dinosaurs existed. But in, in Loch Ness, I don't think there was ever a Nessie. In the Pacific Northwest, I do believe that there was some sort of ape-like creature that probably lived alongside humans and existed in the time of language, meaning that if they lived alongside each other, they were able to pass down the legend of this thing. Well, they existed as long as they could before I came around and shot them all, apparently. Correct, (laughs) yes. Before you were around. um, Sorry about that. Taking care of them. But but that's kind of my my theory is that, and I know that's not conventional. We usually go with like just the facts, most logical thing. And I know that's not necessarily the most logical, but I have this, this inkling that, yeah, like these things did exist in Asia. There was a land bridge that came over to Alaska. The Pacific Northwest, you know, is just south of that. So you have them in British Columbia, which is, you know, just uh, due east of Alaska. And then you have Washington, then you have California. It's entirely possible these tribes lived alongside it, had those stories of these things that did exist. Now, they probably went extinct at some point or they did go extinct at some point. But that's sort of my belief that there's a nugget of truth that exists in the legend of this story. I don't think they have surviving relatives, um, but, you know, that's, you know, because you would have found some sort of bones at some point of something or, um, you know, more compelling evidence like anything else. But that's sort of my maybe crazy off the wall belief. I mean, I'm not going to go and say that's wrong because, yeah, I, I could see that as a, as a possible explanation to why we were even given that story. It's possible. I mean, so I guess, yeah, like I'm with you in that. Is it, is it likely that that's another debate, but, but it is at least something you can entertain and say, there's, there's enough there that I I could think that there was something that looked like that in some fashion and plausible at some point in time, again, like Nessie, like we, a creature like Nessie definitely existed, but did it exist in Loch Ness? Well, that's also actually not a fair question. Because Nessie didn't exist alongside humans, though. No, and that's not a fair question, too, because Loch Ness, or Lake Ness, (laughs) the Ness Lake, (laughs) uh, didn't exist the way it is now. Right. So it's not even a fair... I think this is... I I guess my, my point being... This is a much more fair, plausible story of something could happen. It's not as crazy as when someone comes along and says, like, Bigfoot, you know, existed or was real. It, it did in some fashion. I mean, that's what the fossil record shows in Asia now. Could have. But that's it's a lot more plausible than Nessie, say, saying a dinosaur was survived in a lake that didn't actually exist at the time of dinosaurs because it was formed by a glacier versus these apes, which existed or likely existed um potentially being seen and there being legends passed down with it so then begs the question why did we then get any of these stories uh, in a modern setting in sense of now we've got people coming forth with evidence they believe now says this is this is actually here now i will say i mean with the the particular footprint cast that they had um there's been several more that have come oftentimes they have claw marks in them which 
indicates more than likely a, a bear. bear. Yeah. Um, with a skin disease, maybe. This, <laughs> come on, we're not going to judge. He's going to get some... He's going to get that fixed. What's a, what's that skin stuff that everybody does? Uh, the, proactive yeah, or whatever. Yeah, he's going to get proactive. And you know what? He's, he's going to blossom. He's going to blossom into an boomer. adult. And don't, everybody's going to say, I wish I had stayed with yet. that guy. Look at that guy now. Yeah, yeah look at that yeah. bear. It's going to be like the milk guy. You yeah. know, but I drank milk yeah. and lifted some weights. So Now look at me. I think we need to make a list. Let's do it. It's the Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. It's list time, people. Many of you know this is the part of the show where we just go into a list, sometimes related to what we're talking about, sometimes not so much, but that's what makes it fun. Yeah. You never really know what you're going to get. We kept it pretty close to the story this time. I'd say so. I mean, we're on a streak, I think, of uh, at least a couple episodes where we've stuck really kind of tight in the pocket there. Uh, So for this one... We're not going to disappoint. We're going to stick with that theme. It seems to be working for us. So this is our favorite things about the Northwest. Yeah. Top three things about the Pacific Northwest. Um, We took the Sasquatch off the table this time. Yeah. Even the Sasquatch Music Festival, which takes place at, is it the Gorge? Yep. Yeah. Yep. The Gorge, which if you don't know, it's this incredible venue that is literally in a gorge and the acoustics are just phenomenal. And it's just this. There's nothing forever. I want to see if Dave Matthews closes out every single tour they do there or opens up one of the two. Yep. And everyone's higher than a kite. (laughs) Yeah. Which is, yeah. One thing also not in our list, but there is a certain legal things in in Washington that are are. totally fair game. Now, being that the Pacific Northwest is so close to my heart, uh, do you mind if I start this one off? You can go ahead and start, because that way it'll make me work a little harder on my list, because I'm sure we'll have some good overlap, because I love the Pacific Northwest. How long did you live there again? I lived there for two and a half, three years, something gotcha. along that line. It was it was great. Although, as, as a side, did you see that somebody, a biker in the Pacific Northwest, I th- want to say around Ellensburg, was mauled to death by like a 100-pound emaciated cougar? Mm. Yeah. No, I did not. Uh, they did all the right things. Apparently, a couple people biking, the cougar probably was too hungry couldn't hunt deer anymore because deer are slow deer are too fast for them humans are slow and uh one of the humans did not make it (laughs) yeah i mean it was but do big cats are bad man they're bad bad boys don't want to mess so anyway on that bright note on that wonderful note let's go into uh, my list of great things about the northwest yeah gonna start off strong i don't think you're gonna be able to question this one one of the best things to come from the Northwest, or at least to perfect it, I'll say, coffee. Oh, there's there's zero, there's no question about it. No question. Coffee in the Pacific Northwest is something I very much miss. And what's amazing too is, is that it is true. You go to Seattle and there are coffee shops everywhere and not just Starbucks. Yes, Starbucks. Seattle's best, which is also huge, but it's also Also owned by Starbucks. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, but no, there's a lot of just, again, uh, you know, small business coffee shops Local mom and pops. that are totally fun and great. Like they all have their different environments. They have great coffee too. Some of them even make their own, uh, like they do their own roasting and such. And and I used to love just going and finding the ones that I could because again, I, I do love Starbucks, but I love it even more when I can find a just quaint, comfortable coffee shop, good coffee, I can sit there for some hours and, you know, read or talk or what have you. So there just be, yeah, just be like something like, Hey, we're going to Carol's or some random coffee shop name that Holly's actually yeah. was the one I went to. Um, shout out to Holly's if you're still there. Uh, and actually it was called Holly's not because of one Holly, but the owners were Holly, both named Holly. So it's mm. Holly's. And if you do want to check out the original Starbucks, you can do so by going to Pike place. It's Market. right by, yeah. Pike yep. place, right? Uh, Across from the totems there no it's kind of there's there's like the the run of stalls that they have which they are they're uh just like they're closest to the sound and and so the starbucks is in the the buildings then that are just off of that across the road gonna spoil it for you though the outside is kind of the original and everything the inside just another starbucks yeah yeah they've got a couple photos of when you know, it started and everything, but it's a little bit of a disappointment because you kind of wish that they would just maintain that old look to it. So it actually was a special place to go. People still go. I mean, like there's a line out the door every single day, but. And Pikes and Pikes is as a aside, and I hope I'm not ruining it and it's not on your list, but Pikes is an aside. 
huge. I mean, people like when I pictured Pike's Place Market, I know a lot of farmers markets. I thought, you know, maybe a couple of rooms or whatever. It's big. It's enormous compared to what I expected. Yeah. The fish toss is everything I expected it to be as well. And I more. still love it. And I've seen it a million times. So. Yeah, yeah so, those guys are awesome. Yeah, so coffee's a good coffee's a good number one. Cannot argue with you. We may not have a lot of debate this week based on Probably either not. of our lists. Probably not. Next one I'm going to go with is natural beauty. And this one is a catch-all, but I had to do it because the Northwest is just gorgeous. And I have to say, I, I, I heart you, Northwest. I miss you so much. And one of the biggest things that I miss is just being able to see mountains and ocean and these large pine tree forests that just sprawl for miles and miles and miles. It is wonderful. Uh, this is how spoiled you are in the Northwest, like, or at least particularly in Seattle. In Seattle, you look east and you've got the Cascade Mountains. If you don't know, the Cascade Mountains are basically an offshoot of the Rocky Mountains. So you look to the west and across the sound, you actually see a part of the Olympic Peninsula that wraps around. Washington is like a J. And on that peninsula are the Olympic Mountains. So you are literally surrounded by mountain, mountain, and then right in between all that, ocean. Tell me that's not amazing. And one of the things, and you're talking specifically about Seattle, but one of the things I loved about Yakima were was that we were in the middle of the Cascades. They went around us in a big circle. That was one of the things that made the soil really conducive to certain types of uh, things that they would grow. Uh, not talking about marijuana, talking about other <laughs> stuff. Although maybe that too, I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, you know, different crops and hops and all sorts of things that end ops, I suppose. <laughs> but the um, middle... We rhyme all the time. <laughs> um, the... Um, the inside of the Cascade Mountains, there we, we got 300 days of sunshine because the weather essentially moved around us. And so it would just be gorgeous at all times, hot. dry. But even when it was hot, because there are certain places that are hot close to Washington where they actually trained people to go over to Afghanistan because it was straight desert. Hot. Um, there are certain uh, areas. But even when it got hot, it could be 103 degrees. And in Cleveland, when it's 87 degrees, it's worse because of the humidity. It right. was just so dry. Yeah. And my wife actually is from Woodby Island, which is in the sound there. And so we would routinely go up there. And she would be. Oh, it's so nice. I mean, you just again, you're taking ferries across the Puget Sound and just seeing, again, so many wonderful sights. And, and I've always told people Washington's unique because it has pretty much any type of geographic feature you could name. For example, it has desert. You go far enough east. There's right by Yakima. Desert, yep. yep. Total desert. Um, obviously, mountains. You got rivers. You got lakes. You got uh, the ocean. And then it even, get this, has a rainforest. Now, it's not the Brazilian rainforest in that sense, but it is a... a I don't know. Classified rainforest. Classified rainforest. And again, it's on the Olympic Peninsula and it's it's dense. It's crazy. But yeah, you got all that right there. So natural beauty. Sounds like cannot... a place conducive to Bigfoots. <laughs> Maybe. Um, big feet. Cannot, big, 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 big feet. Yeah. Sasquatches. Yeah, those people. Yeah. Um, and then the third one, this one, uh, you know, you probably have been seeing where I've been going with some of these. I'm, I'm, I'm sure you're not going to see this one coming. Third one, I'm going to go with flannel. Ah, <laughs> flannel's great in the Pacific Northwest because you can wear it if you're a logger. You can wear it if you're a rocker. <laughs> Everybody can wear it. You can wear it if you're a hipster. You can yep. wear it. If, you can wear it to work. Doesn't matter. Doesn't Everyone matter. wears flannel. Everybody's got some kind of flannel in their wardrobe. It reminds me of that um that song, "The Dream of the '90s Is Alive in Portland." Oh yeah, from Portlandia. Oh, when yeah. they're all just walking and yeah, no, that's one of my favorite flannels. songs. Yeah. yeah. It's one of your favorite I gave songs. Up, I gave up. No, seriously, it is. You know, I gave up clowning. You don't have to in Portland. <laughs> I gave up clowning years ago. You don't have to in Portland. You can go back to clown school. So, it's where young people go to retire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so what were your three again? Those are all good. Coffee. Yeah. Natural beauty and flannel, which Coffee. is so comfortable. You can work in it. You can hang out in it. Do what you want. Nice. Nice. I agree with all those three. And I think, again, this is one just because we're having a Pacific Northwest love fest that will have no argument on my list either. So off the bat, number one, wine and beer. Mm. I'm lumping them into one. I mentioned the soil in uh, Yakima is conducive to hops. 
there's actually a place called Moxie, and I'm almost positive that someone who told me this probably was making this stat up, but they said <laughs> Moxie produces like 75% of the hops for the United States at the time I was there. Now, I don't buy that, but it wouldn't have surprised me based on when you drive through fields and fields of hops because of how the soil is. Uh, they also have just this really rich, great wine. You can go on these wine tours to- St. Michelle's is out there. wonderful, yeah. And, and you can get, um, you know, I have bought Yakima ice wine and various Yakima wines in Ohio, that's how good their wine is. Uh, Columbia Valley is obviously mm-hmm. there as well. So uh, the beer and the wine, they do great pairings. And again, the the various types of beer. Um, Red Hook. Is really good. Red Hook. Um, you know, uh, there's a beer called Sasquatch. Of course. So, you know, of course there is. So just really, really good craft beers, really, really good wine. And uh, just lovely place to kind of sit there you know have some sort of a nice drink and sit out and enjoy the beautiful weather and and nature nothing to do with the northwest because this is something that happens anywhere regardless of where you are in the u.s in terms of beer making but i love the clever names they come up with for beer like one of my favorites uh, actually again and i had it out in 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 washington was called um irish death (laughs) it was amazing it's very aggressive (laughs) well you know it was a stout and it definitely made your hair stand up, but it was really good. Nice. Um, number two thing on my list, I'm going to go with seafood. I cannot argue with that. The seafood, oh, when I would go to Seattle. So in Yakima, we would drive. It was about three hours through the Cascade Mountains. Gorgeous, gorgeous drive. The only time it was a bummer, if you went and they were on avalanche control, they would dynamate the side of the mountains to knock down snow, and then you'd have this line of snow plows going like 30 miles an hour. (laughs) But even then, you still could just enjoy the beauty on the drive. So it was a gorgeous drive to do. We'd go to Seattle, and we would always get seafood somewhere on the sound. Just grab, you know, whether it's crab. Like, local crab was my favorite. Um, I even like crab more than lobster, to be honest. Mm. And local crab was great. Any sort of fish they pulled in, it was they were pulling it in that day even in yakima when we would go to sushi in places uh that served fish it was so good because it was just a few hours inland and it was easy to get fresh stuff that had been caught that morning you know there are places in washington you'll go that don't have a freezer because you just go there and they've brought in the catch that day and that's what you're eating so uh, the seafood is just phenomenal um there's there's really nothing quite like it that that i've had as far as seafood goes i'm with you all right my number three thing napoleon dynamite and now you've lost me. <laughs> See, we've been spending a lot of time in Washington. I'm going to Preston, Idaho. Really? Napoleon Dynamite. Hilarious movie. That is true. Napoleon. You know, you talk about the majestic beauty. Get your dinner, Dina. <laughs> you talk about the majestic beauty. Uncle Rico trying to throw a uh, trying to throw a, a football over those mountains over there. How is that majestic national, or beautiful? In the, well, he sees the beautiful mountains. He says, I bet you could throw, <laughs> throw a football over those mountains over there. Uh, vote for Pedro. Napoleon's dance. Just unbelievably hilarious, Uncle. Sounds like you're more in love with the movie though than you are with Idaho. Uh, but I'm I'm giving. But the thing about the Pacific Northwest, I'm specifically saying, is Napoleon. Napoleon <laughs> Dynamite is one of the three best things to about the Pacific out. Northwest. Yeah, okay. I mean, it's one of the best exports. Him. I mean, you could argue kind of the movie as a whole because I mean, there's you can't lose anything on Kip and Lafonda and no. uh, and Uncle Rico. Chicks only like guys with skills. Numchuck skills. I mean. <laughs> That movie is incredible. So definitely one of the three best things to come out of the Pacific Northwest. Wine and beer, seafood, and Napoleon Dynamite. Glad we agreed on all six on all of our list. <laughs> Total agreement all around. Those are the six best things. The last things one was a stretch, but I'm going to give it Northwest. to you. I'll give you the mulligan You'll because <laughs> I do like that movie a lot. And yes, Idaho is lumped together, at least in part. In the Northwest. So yeah, Coeur d'Alene. And actually, Gorgeous. Uh, you know, funny story about Coeur d'Alene. I remember Montana. So people don't realize how big Montana is. If you picked up Montana and moved it across the U.S., it would go from like Chicago to D.C. That's how big it is. <laughs> wow. We drove through it 13 hours straight drive in the winter. We're sliding around, white knuckling. And we were like miserable because we started Montana the first hour. We're like, how beautiful is this? Look at these mountains. And then by the end of it, we're like, I just want to get out of Montana. It's the, <laughs> it was the worst driving state we went to and we were driving. Well, and then if you go down, like, so we took 90 when we drove from Seattle to Cleveland, Ohio. And, you know, you, you, you kind of go through Montana and then you angle down into, 
Wyoming. Yeah. <laughs> which is Cheyenne, not much different yeah. because then you've just still got sprawling landscape, which is gorgeous, but it the scenery doesn't change too much. Oh, yeah. So we get through Montana. We've been doing this thing for like 13 hours. We've taken 90, so we've dipped through through Wyoming for a little bit. It's just been a miserable kind of trip through, and it's like the heavens opened up, and we go in through Coeur d'Alene. Coeur d'Alene, these gorgeous stacked houses on the hillside, water on our right, and all of a sudden, there's a million cars where there weren't. And where'd all these cars come from? I was like, everybody was getting the hell out of Montana. <laughs> and we were around in Coeur d'Alene, and then, of course, we ended up in Spokane, and, uh, <laughs> right. um, which was like where we ended up staying overnight, but we were so happy when we got through, and I... I, I I still remember to this day the feeling of getting out of Montana and out of, which is a beautiful state. It really is. If you go there, maybe fly into a small airport and hang out, driving through, not great. So I don't want to deposition Montana. It's not like we're talking about New Jersey here. No. But um, when you get to, when we got to Coeur d'Alene, I'll never forget the feeling of relief I have to have other humans around, like see society and civilization in Coeur d'Alene, which is a beautiful place to begin with. And then ultimately we netted out in Spokane where we stayed the night before uh, going to Yakima. So my funny Montana story is, is that, so I kind of live tweeted uh, the whole trip where each day I would provide some kind of update to our progress on Twitter. And in Butte, Montana, we stopped at a rest area and I'm just sitting there looking around kind of, again, just taking in the whole environment, landscape and everything. And I look off into the distance and I see this, I can only describe it as, I mean, well, (laughs) I'm going to describe it by what I thought it was. I'm like, is that the freaking tower Mordor? (laughs) because it was black it was tall it was all by itself and everything around it was just basically desolate and so i'm 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 looking around going have i stumbled into middle earth here what's going on but i but so i took a picture of it and i said you butte montana or mordor your pick (laughs) the juvenile in me too was looking at a map as we were driving through so you had butte montana which obviously is spelled like butt with an e b-u-t-t-e Uh, fun fact, there's also an Eagle Butte and a Mud Butte. <laughs> so, everyone has buttes, okay? Yeah, so pronounce Just those like differently. everyone poops, okay? It's funny, yeah. Then you end up with Mud Butte. I think that's as good a time as any to wrap it up. I think so. Yeah. So if you guys uh, want to get in touch with us, you can always email us at socialcurrency1 at gmail.com. Well, because social currency was taken. And if you want to connect with us on Facebook, we'll be posting some good Bigfoot-related stuff this week. Uh, You can find us at Social Currency Podcast on Facebook. Absolutely. Yeah. So, as always, you know, appreciate you listening, and uh, we'll talk next week. See ya. See ya.